turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We will finish up Luke 12 this week. Jim will preach whatever message the Lord lays on his heart as some of us are away camping. And then we will come back together the following week and we'll start a new series that will take us through the end of this year, The Names of God. So we'll finish up Luke 12, our fifth part of Good Heavenly Parenting. And I've entitled this message morning, Some Tough Conversations. In exactly four weeks, our revival here at Crossway begins, as Jimmy mentioned in the announcements. And so remember what I told you, three things, pray, attend, and invite. And that got me to thinking this week, if Jesus were invited to preach a revival at First Baptist Church anywhere, imagine how that might go. I mean, of course, any good Baptist church, he'd have to meet with the revival committee, right? You've got to have a committee for everything. And I can hear it now. Jesus, we don't want anything too dogmatic. We don't want anything too negative. In fact, if you could just not preach anything negative at all, that would be great. No hellfire brimstone. We don't want anything toe-stomping. We want some upbeat, seeker-friendly messages. And we came up with a few titles, Jesus, you might want to preach. It's already yours. Position for greatness. Setbacks or setups for your comeback. Words that win. Learn how to reboot yourself. And yes is in your future. Google those and you'll see where I took them from. If Luke 12 is any indication, folks might be in for a shock when he showed up and preached. Amen? Here's a few based on the end of Luke 12. Global warming. I came to set the world on fire in judgment. Heartbreak hotel. I'm going to die and you're going to suffer. Fixer upper. How to bust up your family. Weather alert. Y'all a bunch of hypocrites. And people's court. You don't stand a chance before God. Sound harsh? Reality often is. Amen? Not to mention, life frequently requires some tough conversations. Amen? You ever had to have some? Especially with somebody you loved? Maybe your kids? Did you like it? Why not? It's painful. But what motivated you to have that tough conversation? Love? You want to prepare them for reality? You want to affect some change? And isn't that what good parents do? They have some tough conversations with their kids. And so Jesus comes with some tough conversations, some harsh realities, motivated by love, a reality check for them, then, us now, to affect change in what any good parent does. His tough conversations, five of them include, as we'll look at, a fire to be kindled, a baptism to be endured, a division to be faced, a time to be interpreted, and a lawsuit to be avoided. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy and righteous and perfect word. Luke 12, reading verses 49 to the end of the chapter. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison? I tell you, you'll never get out until you have paid the very last the word of God to the people of God preach in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And Father, we don't come to hear a message that's going to tickle our ears. And Father, I pray that each person that is here this morning understands through the passion of this message that I'm not mad at them. But Father, your message often slaps us right between the eyes. And so, Father, because you are a good, good Father who loves us and desires us to be prepared for reality and to affect change. And Father, what any good parent would do is to have some tough conversations with us. I thank you, Father, that you would give us your word today that cuts to the marrow and to the quick of the heart, Father, to discern our inner thoughts and our heart. And so, Father, I pray for each of us here today that something that is said will be spoken into their heart because, Father, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. That, Father, they will look more like your precious Son, Jesus Christ, not like me. And so, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would be upon this place today as we leave here today that that would be true, that we will take something with us to share with someone in need this week, Father, to bring a soul into the kingdom, and, Father, to apply it to our own lives that we wouldn't turn over a new leaf, but we would turn over a new life to Jesus Christ, for it's in his wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, there's five tough conversations here. The first is a fire to be kindled, and that's in verse 49. Look at verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. So let's break this down. Notice first what Jesus says. He says, I came who? Jesus is about to give us his mission statement, so to speak. If I went to Walmart and I picked out a hundred random Christians why, and asked them, why did Jesus come? What do you think they would say? Why did Jesus come? And what would you say? Save the world. I mean, the most elementary is to save us from our sins. Is that not why he's named Jesus? Matthew 1.21, an angel spoke to Joseph and said, You shall call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And we like to think of Jesus' mission statement solely in terms of that. Luke 19.10, that he came to seek and save the lost. And Mark 10.45, that he gave his life as a ransom for many. But Jesus of his own mouth in just a few more words says there's an additional aspect to his coming. But first, I want us to think long and hard for a second about what is the default position. When you go to Walmart and you see the 500 people at Walmart, 
What is the default position of every person that is there that is not blood-bought by Jesus Christ? And I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. First is condemnation. That's John 3, 17 to 18. Listen to what Jesus said after that great verse in 16. He said, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, he might, that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but here it is, whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. And at the end of that chapter, He says that those who do not believe, the wrath of God remains on them. So they're under condemnation. Ephesians 2, 3. They're under vexation. That we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then alienation in Colossians 1, verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, that's how Jesus saw humanity. Under condemnation, under vexation, under alienation. And let me ask you, is that how we see them? <clears throat> when we go to Walmart and you walk around, do you say, I see dead people? Because that's what we ought to see. It is the walking dead, brothers and sisters. And they're not in need of our niceties to say, how you doing, and go on. They're in our need for us to shine Jesus into their life and actually potentially talk to them and share the gospel. If we're not sharing the gospel at least once, each and every week we are failing the Lord. One missionary said that the church that is not seriously involved in fulfilling the Great Commission has forfeited its right to exist. Because Jesus came to save and that's why we're here too, brothers and sisters. And the default position is that these people are damned to hell. That's the default. And so Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Part of His office of prophet is to foretell. That's what I'm doing now. Warning. Calling to account. Summoning folks to repentance. Why? So He wouldn't have to see them at the judgment seat of Christ, he could see them at the bema seat of Christ to not condemn them and judge them, but instead to reward them. Do you want your family members sitting at the great white throne of judgment and to be condemned? Or would you like them to be at the bema seat of judgment and to be rewarded? Then get busy. Get busy talking. Think about it. Jesus ain't sitting around knitting sweaters and eating bonbons. He had an itinerant ministry. That means he was constantly on the go, walking, constantly sharing the gospel each and every day. He was tired, guess what? He shared the gospel. He was hungry, guess what? He shared the gospel. He was thirsty, guess what? He shared the gospel. He needed to go home and have some other things that he needed to take care of, probably repair his sandals and take a bath. And you know what he did? Shared the gospel. We put so much other garbage that doesn't need to be in front of what it is, in front of the primary thing I came to. The gospel. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. Listen to this. As leaders, we've been reading through this book. Tozer for the Christian leader. I'm going to encourage each and every one of you to potentially get this and then read the evangelism section in August. It'll blow your mind. 
but from August 11th that we read, listen to this, let a flood or a fire hit a populous countryside and no able-bodied citizen has any right to rest till he's done everything he can to save as many as he can. Let there be an earthquake because we're sitting right on a, on a fault zone and every person in this county will strap up his bootstraps and go to work trying to save people that are hurt and dying. And we, the default position is everybody in this county other than those saved by the blood of Jesus Christ are going to hell and what are we doing? Sitting around knitting sweaters and eating bonbons. Let it not be said of me and let it not be said of you and let it not be said of Crossway Baptist Church. So yes, Jesus came to save but look at what He says. I came to cast fire on the earth. Remember what Jimmy said last week. If you don't know the audience, it's going to mess you up. And if you don't understand the symbolism, it's going to mess you up. Fire in Scripture almost always denotes judgment. Isaiah 66, 15, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 8 are two cross references there. But fire almost always denotes judgment. In fact, fire is first in the Greek sentence. So this is actually how it reads. Fire I came to cast on earth. Now the Jews just thought that they were automatic ends. Marty and I talked about this in going through Romans. Their rabbi said, well, we're circumcised and circumcised men will never have to see hell. That's like saying, well, I'm a Baptist and therefore I will never have to go to hell. They said circumcision saves from hell. God swore to Abraham, no one who was circumcised should be sent to hell. And Jesus is saying, I come to cast fire on earth, judgment on earth, and to you Jews too. And to you Baptists too. You think he's got their attention? We like to think of Jesus as this sissified, needy, milquetoast Jesus that never had any fiery words and any fiery judgment. Brothers and sisters, that ain't the Jesus of Scripture. Dr. Barclay said, however much we wish to eliminate the element of judgment from the message of Jesus, it remains stubbornly and unalterably there. And maybe you're scratching your head and saying, well, I thought Jesus came the first time as a lamb, as a savior, and he's coming the second time as a lion and a judge. So did Jesus come to judge or not? Yes. Turn to John chapter 12. Because on the one hand, listen to what Jesus says. And then we're going to back up three chapters and see what he said. And then we're going to explain it. John 12, verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, what? I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, back up three chapters to John chapter 9. And see, this is where Unbelievers get messed up because they think it's the Bible's full of errors because it contradicts itself. Because you haven't read enough to know all the pieces of the puzzle. John 9, 39. Jesus said, Why did he come into the world? For judgment. I thought he just said he didn't come to judge the world. 
that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So it seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Part and parcel of Jesus coming is that millions and billions, minute by minute, hour by hour, day after day, week after week, year after year, are doing what? Either making a decision for Christ or making a decision against Christ. There are only two types of people on this planet. And it ain't white and black. It ain't this and that. It is that you're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. And division happens and rebellion is revealed and people are confirmed in their unbelief in that. And think about it as far as this illustration. A man with a gangrenous arm. Just before they knock him out with anesthesia. What are you going to do with a gangrenous arm? Cut it off. And he says, now doc, did you come to cut off my arm? What's the doctor going to say? No, I came to save your life. But doc, you got to cut my arm off. That's the point. We all understand that. In order to save life, you have to what? Cut off the arm. And so Jesus came to save, but His ministry that saves also judges and condemns. And maybe you say, well, I just can't believe that my Jesus would say these kind of words like in verse 49. I just don't think He would say such. And you're right, your Jesus didn't. And that's the problem. Your Jesus ain't the Jesus of Scripture. Luke's not playing around here. He's not making this up. He's given a careful account of exactly what Jesus said. We better take heed, brothers and sisters, of the Jesus that we make and the God we make, but it may not match up to the one in Scripture. And look at what he says, and would that it were already kindled. Now, if you didn't like the first part of this sentence, you ain't going to like this one. What did Jesus mean exactly? I don't know because commentators are mixed on it, but here's what I think. I think after living with sinful humanity for 30 years, he was ready for judgment to come already and there to be an end to sin forever. I thought about it this morning as I was reading through, the Lord brought to my mind. You remember 2 Peter 2, 7-8? It says, when Lot's sitting there in those wicked cities, that his soul was vexed, distressed as he sat and watched all of this cesspool of sin and wickedness day in and day out. Now, if a righteous man that was unrighteous felt that way, how do you think a three-time holy Jesus felt living amongst sinful humanity? I wish judgment was already cast upon the earth to put an end to this nonsense. And so, in application, brothers and sisters, do we understand our mission statement? Do you understand God didn't just give you breath to use up valuable oxygen? He made you a minister of reconciliation. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. We talked about it in Experiencing God. He said, you know what we ought to do? Maybe we'll do this one Sunday. We need to have a Monday morning commissioning service. Because you know what's going to happen? I don't know how many people are here exactly. Let me say 40. 40 people are going to walk out this back door and you know what's going to happen? You're going into the mission field, brothers and sisters. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to China. Those things are great. But guess what? You're going to your workplace. You're going to Brighton High School. You're going to Covenant High. You're going to the jail. I'm going to the doctor's office. You're going to be out on the streets on patrol. 
Brothers and sisters, there's people everywhere around us that need to know Jesus Christ. Do we get it? Do we get it? And do we understand that our mission means we didn't come to condemn people, but people ain't going to necessarily like it. Right? It's going to cast some fire. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Who wants Jesus to come back? Do you understand the moment that He comes back, billions of people across this planet are going to be condemned to a Christless eternity? Alright. So that's a fire to be kindled now, baptism to be endured. Look at verse 50. It says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I have a baptism to be t- baptized with. Well, before judgment came for Jesus' judging ministry, He Himself would undergo judgment. What baptism is he speaking of here? The Holy Spirit? No, that's already taken place back in chapter 3, verse 22. What is Christian baptism symbolic of? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's referring to. That he's going to have to undergo death. That's his baptism. And three these three things of his persecution, his testing in Gethsemane, his crucifixion and death would literally come over him like a tsunami. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Often in Scripture, we see an imagery of floods of judgment. Think about Jonah. What was he under when he's deep down in the ocean? A flood of judgment. There's water all around him, right? So Jesus is about to sustain a flood of judgment. Isaiah 30, 27 and 28. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with His anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of uh, fury and His tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of destruction and the place on the jaws of the peoples a bridle that leads astray. And so often we see this picture of divine judgment flooding over someone. And can I ask you today, if you are a believer, aren't you thankful that Jesus willingly gave His life for yours and that the floodwaters of God's wrath and judgment swept over Him and drowned Him so it didn't have to drown and choke you. You've seen those shirts, Jesus is my lifeguard. Ain't you thankful Jesus is your lifeguard? And He took on the punishment for you. And look at, imagine the distress He was under. Look at what He says of His own words. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. That word distress there in the Greek is used also of a city that's under besiege. What's it like for a city to be under siege, under attack? It's got to be extremely stressful as the enemy is closing in and squeezing the life out of you. It's also used of an ocean strait being squeezed down the water into a small little area. And also a cattle squeeze. You ever use one of them? They're all running out here. Marty says you're using much time. You squeeze them things down in there. That's what Jesus is saying. He literally is under the distress. He knows that the flood water of God's judgment for the sin of the world is coming on him and it's just squeezing the life out of him. To the point that he's in the garden, what's he doing? 
sweat and drops of blood. As it's been said, salvation may be free, but it wasn't cheap. And I wonder if we cheapen it. How many Christians say, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven, but they live like hell. Do you really worship Him? Worship His majesty and what He took on for you? To be choked? Literally the life squeezed out of Him and bloodied and battered so that you didn't have to experience that? Now I don't really think our human minds can even begin to fathom the distress that He was under. Think about it. I mean, you think Jesus popped out of the womb and He said, oh, I know I'm the Messiah. I know exactly what I've got to go through. No. He was human. At some point, He knew He was the Messiah. At some point, reading through the old Scriptures, He knew from Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 what that was going to entail. And He knew that He was going to have to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. Billy knows what the dregs is, don't you, Billy? Y'all know what it is because y'all get your glass of tea down to that last little bit and you throw it out because you don't want to drink all the bacteria and the piece of salad that's left in there and the cheeseburger and all that. You throw it out because it's the nastiest part. Jesus drank the nastiest part of sin all the way down in God's wrath for it. And the Father crushed Him. Listen to what Dr. Hughes said. He said, The artful butchery and prolonged torture were not what distressed Him, but rather the necessity of taken on the raw sewage of our sins so that he in effect would choke and drown in it and become the same. That's a wonder he didn't go nuts. But praise God we read in Luke 9.51 he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters this is where Christianity is different from every other religion. If you read the book I've encouraged you to read before No God But One he says Allah is not a loving God. Only the Christian God is a loving God. Buddha sits around under a tree with his eyes closed and doles out woes upon us. Jesus Christ goes up on a tree with his eyes completely open and drinks in the sin of the world and God's wrath for us. And then he closes his eyes and says, It is finished. Think about it. As far as application, you think we might have a baptism to be baptized with? You say, well, I've already been baptized. No, I'm talking about one of suffering and even death. Paul said he would go through, in Philippians 3.10, he'd go through anything if it meant that he could become like Christ in his suffering and death and resurrection, to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Brothers and sisters, there may be some very painful stuff for us in the road ahead. That's some tough conversation. Christianity ain't easy. It ain't easy peasy street, is it? Alright, the third tough conversation is a division to be faced. Look at verse 51 to 53. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. And then we've got Jerry Springerville. Dad against the son, son against the dad, mom against the daughter, daughter against the mother. <coughs> now before I even get into my notes, can I tell you that this verse of Scripture has meant more to me, my walk with Christ, than anything? Because people in my own family 
have not understood my commitment to the Lord. And they have said nasty and mean things to me and about me. And I guarantee I know a few of you in here the very same thing. When you're committed to the Lord and you're on fire for the Lord, you might like it and I may love it, but everybody else ain't necessarily going to like it and love it. He says, do you think I've come to give peace? If you went and asked most Christians, what's Jesus like? They'd give you some sissified, pacifist Jesus. What we need is a healthy dose of reality straight out of his own mouth, and that's what he gives us here. Again, is this a contradiction? I mean, ask most Christians, did Jesus come to bring peace, and what would they say? Yes. yes. Emphatically, unhesitatingly, yes. Did Jesus come to bring peace? The answer is this. Yes and no. How can you say that, Pastor? I don't know. That's just what the Scriptures say. I'm too dunce to know it. But that's how God is. His ways and His thoughts are higher than ours. Jesus didn't just come to bring peace. He is peace. Amen? He's the Prince of Peace. And He said in Mark 10 He didn't come to bring peace. Mark's exposition of this is He didn't just come to bring peace. He came, or Matthews, he came to bring a sword. Yes, Jesus gives us peace individually with God, and one day, glory, hallelujah, the wolf and the lamb are going to lay down, and there's going to be peace everywhere. But presently, in the here and now, you know what he brings? Division. If you read John 7, the nation is divided over Jesus. Some say he's the Messiah, some say he's crazy, some say maybe he could be a prophet. If he wrought division at a national level, don't you think he's going to bring it at a familial level? I love what Dr. Wearsby says. Listen to this. I'm going to read it two ways. First, often their confession of faith became a declaration of war among their family and friends. Here, listen to this. Often, Buffy Cook's confession of faith becomes a declaration of war against Buffy Cook's family and friends and insert your own name there. Have you felt that? He says, no, I tell you, but rather division from now on in one house and he gives these scenarios of how a father saved will be against a son lost and a son saved against a father lost and on and on. And so what is Jesus saying? Number one, a priority commitment. Jesus must be number one even if everything and everyone else is number two. And can I tell you, there's people in my family that don't like when they're number two. And I'm not talking about my wife. See, God's number one. My family is number two. And they're all back there at number 32. And they don't like that. You like going to the doctor and you ain't got an appointment and you take a number out and it says 163. And it says, now serving number four. You don't like that, do you? You think our family and friends like it? It's exactly what I told Evan and Melissa. When you get married, six minus four equals one. You got a bride and a groom and their parents, which is six, and you take out the parents, and then you put those two together, and it's one, and guess who's on the outside looking in, and they don't necessarily like it? Mama and Daddy. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then what have we said before? No neutrality. 
There's no neutral option with Jesus. It's either you're for Him or against Him. There is no third, fourth, or fifth option. And then there's the new family as we sing all the time. Some of you have families here that love you and you get to spend time with them. Vicki and I, this city, y'all are our family. But that ought to be every one of us. When we walk in here, it's not just, well, how's it going? This is family. This is time for us to come together and love on one another. And it says in the Scriptures to encourage one another, edify one another, exhort one another, lift one another up, bear one another's burdens. Where's that going on? I'm thankful that we have that in this church. There's a lot of churches that don't go on. I'm just showing up, throwing my 20 in the plate. I'm just showing up so everybody can say, well, we saw Buffy at church. Yeah, Dr. Cook was at church this week, so he must be a good guy, so I'll go visit him. I'll go see him instead of picking this other guy. Or if they need life insurance, well, I'll, I'll go go to this guy because he comes to church on Sunday. You don't come to church for that. You come to church because this is your family. Family sticks together. And that's what Jesus is saying. As far as application, this very truth is why the Romans hated Christians. A couple things. They went to agape feast. They had love feast with brothers and sisters. They said that was incest. And then they were traitors. They wouldn't pinch a little piece of incense and offer it to Caesar. They were traitors to Rome. And third is that they broke up families. How can you say you love people when you're breaking up families? You hate them. And the same is true today, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, me and my wife have fought through this over and over. I was thinking earlier, you see some of these wrinkles on me? I got more than she does, thankfully. You know where that wrinkle probably came from? Dealing with some of our family. The stress that they have caused us over our love for the Lord and our commitment to Him. If we walk out of here and we have the idea that our lives are not set up for conflict, we are fooling ourselves. Yes. You turn on the TV today, and I saw, you know the guy in Colorado that was the baker that wouldn't bake the cake for the gay couple? And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, y'all cannot do this. This is wrong. Leave the man alone. That should have been in the story, in the discussion. Do you know that they have sued him again for not baking a transgender a cake? Brothers and sisters out there, they don't like us. But you know why? Because they don't like our Lord. It has nothing to do with that they don't like Jimmy Hicks. I think he's a great guy, and I don't know about Vicky, but <laughs> they don't like you because they don't like Jesus. Right. And if we have this crazy idea that everybody's just going to like us because we're Christians, we're fooling ourselves. And sometimes you might be the lone ranger Christian in your family or circle of friends. Amen. Mm -hmm. As bitter a pill as that is to swallow, you better swallow it. Alright, next is a time to be interpreted. Look at what he says in 54 to 56. He said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. Now Jesus, that's not nice. You can't say that in church. 
He's God. He can do whatever He wants. Amen. Amen. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, this is very interesting. And as a side, I'll throw this in here. Do you notice that all of a sudden He was talking to... He's been kind of back and forth and He's talking to His disciples and then, boom, suddenly He says, to the crowds. Why do you think that is? I didn't really know until this morning and I was thinking about it. I heard another pastor talking about it and this is why. Jimmy, you ever been up here and you're preaching and suddenly you see a conversation going on in the church and people are looking at something and you're going, is there a spider web over my head? Is there like a snake about to fall off the television on top of me? Why is everybody looking over there? That happened? Yeah, every week. I think that's what's happening. Jesus is rocking on. And He's saying, there's a fire coming. And I've got a baptism. And you might have one too. And there's division coming. And you know what people are sitting over there doing? And this is exactly what goes on in church. Because Jimmy and I see y'all. This is exactly what goes on in church. I mean, Jesus has been telling us some terrible, tough conversations and harsh realities. And here's... Johnny Jew, he's staring over in the sky and he's poking his friend. He's going, look, there's a cloud coming. It's going to rain. And Jesus has been talking for two hours. There's no end in sight. We're going to get wet. My buns are going to burn in the oven. Or maybe Sally Jew is over there and she's going, girl, do you feel that south wind blowing on your neck? It's about to get hot. Jesus has been here preaching for two hours. I don't know how much more of this I can stand. I told Marty, I said, we probably ain't never going to be over a certain number of people in the pews here. You know why? Because people ain't going to listen to a 40-minute message in America. I think that's what's happening. And so they're over there nudging one another. Hey, hey, yeah, yeah. And Jesus goes, let me tell you, that's a good point. Why are you tell, talking about that? Let me bring it up. Now, Jimmy, we're about to start into deer season, ain't we? Glory, hallelujah. And let me tell you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use the weather. And I ain't going to use the weather app. I ain't going to see what Dave Brown has to say about it. I'm going to walk outside, and Mr. Les Hayes, my neighbor, he's so nice and sweet, he put a flagpole up. So every morning I walk out and I go, I need to go back in. I didn't know it was going to be a north wind today blowing, and these clothes are not going to cut it. Or we've had a bountiful tomato harvest and we've been blessed with that. I told Vegas, I don't know what we're going to do when we run out of tomatoes, but I would say, dear, do you think I ought to water the garden today? And you'll say, well, no, did you see those clouds in the west? A shower is coming. We get this, don't we? We understand this. And Jesus is saying, then why don't you understand the spiritual weather? Why don't you get it? Here's the thing. He says, you hypocrites. It's not that they could not get it, it's that they would not get it. The winds were howling around them. The spiritual weather was right. Think about all the spiritual weather they had had to help them interpret the time, the Scriptures of which they were experts the sheer weight of Jesus' person that He was sinless and the miracles and His authority with which He taught, the testimony of Israel in which they had prophets who would come and preach righteousness, 
People would reject the message and then what would happen? Judgment would fall. And what are they starting to do? Here comes Jesus preaching righteousness and what are people starting to do? Reject the message. And so what is Jesus saying? Judgment is about to fall. And it ultimately would in A.D. 70. So in application, ask yourself, am I a spiritual dunce? How's my spiritual IQ? Y'all heard me say before that people ask me in the office, Dr. B, you think we're in the last days? Well, duh. We've been in the last days since Jesus left. And if you've ever read 2 Timothy 3, you know that we're in the last days, the way that people act. Amen? Here's what I'm worried about, brothers and sisters, that the majority of Christians have spent more time in the past month perusing the weather page than the last page, which is that Jesus said, Surely I come quickly. They fret more over what the weather will be like on vacation than what the weather is like with regards to the clouds of the storm on eternity on the horizon. Now I know it's been a little long, but you'll be alright. We don't have Sunday night service. This is going to be all the food some of you are going to get all week. Listen to the spiritual forecast. Hebrews 9.28 Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Are you eagerly waiting for Christ? That word in the Greek means to have your neck stretched out looking. You know how your kid does when they're looking for the ice cream man? Is that you? Your neck stretched out looking for Jesus? Titus 2.13 Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you an Eeyore Christian? And you ain't got a lick of hope in your whole body? Brother, sisters, we all be full of hope. Jesus is coming and it's right around the corner. The clouds are there. I feel the heat now. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 the Lord Himself is going to descend from heaven with a cry of command, voice of archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Glory, hallelujah, when that happens. And we're going to be caught up with Him in the air. I won't be afraid of heights. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> and we'll always be with the Lord. It says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Vicki talked about how encouraging it was to be with the ladies yesterday. Brothers and sisters, are we Barnabas? Barnabas's? Do we come in and encourage one another? Because Jesus, the clouds show He's coming. Let's encourage one another. Matthew 16, 27, The Son of Man's come, uh, coming with His angels in the glory of His Father, and He'll repay each person according to what He has done. Look at the clouds. You know what we start to do? If you're outside and you see the clouds coming, what do you do? Rush into action. We see the clouds that Jesus is coming, and we just sit around and do nothing. He's coming back to repay you for what you've done for Him. Matthew 24, 42. Stay awake. You don't know what day your Lord is coming. We're sleeping through hurricane force winds. 2 Peter 3, 10-11. Dr. B, you believe in global warming? I absolutely do because 2 Peter 3, 10-11 teaches it. And it won't be because of what we deal with carbon dioxide, monoxide, trioxide, or quadroxide. It'll be because Jesus comes and sets this place on fire, burns it up, and gives us a new heaven and a new earth. And it says because that's happening, then this is how you ought to be people with lives of holiness and godliness. 
Jesus is coming. The storm clouds say it. Are you living a holy and godly life? Luke 18, 18. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Storms come, what do we do? We lose faith. Man, we start wringing our hands, running, trying to find a sailor. That's not us. We see the storm clouds of judgment coming. We ought to be full of faith. And then finally, Luke 17, 26-37. Just as the days of Noah. What were they doing in the days of Noah? Oh, look at that fool over there building that ark. Let me go have a party. We tell people, Jesus is coming back. Amy Bowers wants to share with some people at the jail this week. Maybe Billy Darty, Vicki Cook, Jimmy Washington. Jesus is coming back. You get out of jail, you better go live right. What are they going to do? Go right back doing the same stuff they were doing. Leave Jesus before. at the jail. Leave Jesus at the jail. Pick him back up whenever he comes. They come back. So, how good are we at the weather? Alright, the last is the lawsuit to be avoided. Look at what Jesus says, verse 57 to 59. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? I mean, we've already said judgment's coming, amen? So now Jesus is going to tell us how to prepare for it, and he gives us a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The setup for the parable is that verse. And this is actually how it reads, because for yourselves is in the emphatic position. For yourselves, why do you not judge what is right? Y'all remember the Uncle Sam poster? This means you. Jesus is pointing at me, at you, and he's saying this means you. Well, what is right? Jesus tells us as you go with your accuser for the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, at least he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer. The officer puts you in prison, I tell you, Never get out until you pay the very last penny. The background is you owe somebody a great deal of money and you just won't pay or you can't pay. And so the creditor takes you to court and the case is black and white. You are going to lose. You are going to go to jail. And you're going to pay every dime back. Now let me ask you, what would be the wisest course of action? Make a payment. Or you better what? Play for Mercy. I was talking to Jerry Mason yesterday and he said, he had that a guy, he said, look, dude, you're guilty. You want 50, jail, 50 years in jail or you want 12? I'll take 12. It's kind of what Jesus is saying. You better throw yourself at the mercy of the court. Make every effort to set on the way. Why? You've got an indefensible case. You're guilty. The judge would be mentally insane not to put you in the jail. And so he's going to drag you to the judge. The judge is going to take the officer. The officer is going to take you down to debtor prison. And you're going to pay every penny. The word penny there is the uh, word lepton. It's the smallest Jewish coin. It literally would take you five minutes of a 12-hour work day to make it. He says, you're going to pay down to the last five minutes of your paycheck. But here's the catch. Prison then wasn't like prison now. And prison in Tipton County ain't like prison in most places, amen? But prison then, there wasn't no JBC, Jerusalem Bail Bond Company. You weren't going to call somebody and get out. And your family was not going to come visit you. They weren't going to bring you a dime. In other words, there was no way, Jesus is telling of an impossibility, there is no way to pay to the last penny. You can't do it. There's no escape. And so here's the spiritual implication and application. Every man, woman, and child ever given the breath of life on this planet owes God an unpayable debt. 
in a million lifetimes you could not repay it. Every man, woman, child ever given the breath of life on this planet has an indefensible case before God. You're guilty, you're going to lose, and you're going to go to jail. Listen to what Dr. Wiersbe said. He said, anyone will do whatever is necessary to stay out of prison, but how many people will apply that same concern and diligence to stay out of hell? Well, I'm a good person. Well, let's review the cases, the facts of the case, sir. <coughs> what did the rich young ruler say? I've kept all them. He said, okay, here you go. Go sell everything you got. What did he do? He walked away sad. Why? Because he was covetous. You're guilty. Period. Good person don't work. Well, I've done some good stuff. Jesus says, well, I hope you're a real good accountant. You better have your checkbook reconciled to the very last penny because until you've done enough good work to pay down to the very last penny, ain't going to work. Your best day for mercy. Reading from Dr. Wiersbe again, following up on that, he said this, we must apply these truths to our own lives personally. If we knew a storm was coming, we would prepare for it. If we knew the officer was coming to take us to court, we would get a lawyer and try to settle the case out of court. The storm of God's wrath is coming. The judge is already standing before the door. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. But can I tell you, for the true believer, here's the glorious promise. You don't ever have to go to court. You see, Jesus took your unpayable debt and he stamped it with one Greek word, which was the last word he spoke on the cross in which He loved you so much He stretched out His arms and He died for you and He died for me. He said, Father, into Your hands I commend My Spirit because nobody's taken His life. He's given it voluntarily for you and for me. And then He says, Telelesta. It's finished. If you know Jesus Christ, if you can't come in this church today and jump up and down and be bad to Pentecostal and say, thank you, Jesus, that you stamped my unpayable ticket, paid in full, because that's what that word means in the Greek. Something is wrong with you. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. You probably need to get saved. Our case is already settled in heaven, brothers and sisters. We've already passed from death to life. Glory, hallelujah. In closing, let me ask you, how many of you enjoy wearing sunscreen? I said enjoy wearing it. One person got the hand up back there and she probably tell them to the teacher. Why do most of us not like it? It's sticky and gross. You ever had to apply it to a six-year-old? They're squirming and wrestling and it's getting in their eye and they're crying. And then you pinch them and they say, don't pinch me! You ever had to apply it to your 46-year-old man-child, a.k.a. husband? Yes. <laughs> My wife says yes and knows how much I hate it. That said, why did you put it on? If it's sticky and nasty and painful and irritating and annoying... Exactly, like Miss Cecilia said, for protection, because it saves you from cancer. And so think about Jesus' words here in Luke 12. They're meant to protect, to save us from spiritual sunburn and cancers of the soul. 
instead of getting angry at the person that wants us to put it on, why don't we just take him at his word and apply it? That's right. I love what Dr. Blackaby said in Experiencing God. He said it's not enough to agree with what God said in your mind. In other words, I might want to put this sunscreen on. It'll do me some good. He says you must apply God's word in your heart and your life. And so as we close and get ready here in a minute for the invitation, if God over the past week, five weeks, has spoken to you about hypocritical behavior, don't turn over a new leaf. That ain't what you need. You need Christ to turn over a new life in you. And come and lay that hypocritical behavior at the altar. If God's spoken to you about fearing God, not man, then pray God to fill you with His Holy Spirit that you'll have a proper and secure fear of God. Come ask Him to fill you this morning anew. If he's spoken to you about the need to openly confess Christ, maybe you've never done that, come, we'll have that discussion to confess Christ and follow him in believer's baptism. If he's spoken to you about needing to guard your heart and mind against greed and covetousness and repent of those things, about being a worrywart Christian, then come on down and lay that stuff at the altar and don't pick it back up. Or the need to stay ready for Jesus' return, as Jimmy said, to live the normal Christian life, which for most people really is abnormal because they don't really know what normal Christian life looks like, then come do that. Or God's spoken to you this morning about a fire to be kindled, baptism to be endured, a vision to be faced, time to be interpreted, lawsuit to be avoided. Whatever it is, come as the Lord is talking to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you for the truth of it. Father, I thank you that it cuts to the quick. And Father, even before... I came and preached it today to your people, Father. You used it to cut some of the garbage out of my life that needs to be cut out of my life. Father, we think about Jesus. He was a carpenter and he wants to chisel some of this stuff out of our life. He wants to chisel out hypocritical behavior and irrational fear. He wants to chisel out <coughs> denying him. And Father, greed and covetousness and worry. And Father, not being ready for his return. And these things we've spoken of this morning. So, Father, I pray as we come to this time of invitation that people would hear your voice and they would respond. Thank you for this time you've given us to be in your house. Father, I pray you bless the remainder of this service. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. As far as invitation, this morning we've discussed some harsh realities straight from the lips of Jesus, the great physician. Let me give each of you another one from the lips of a practicing physician with a whole lot less experience than Jesus, but still yet over 20 years has gained some pretty good wisdom nonetheless, and that's myself. Can I tell you that you are closer to death right now than you've ever been in your entire life? Listen to the words of Jesus' half-brother James. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We all get that. A kid's turning eight. A kid's turning 16 getting a car. A kid's buying a house. My kid's getting married. It all happens like this. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask each and every one of us here today, if that is true of you, that you 
would be here today but gone tomorrow as we often say and you went to stand before a three time holy God tomorrow and he said why should I let you into my heaven how would you answer I don't think you can get better than Jesus own words can you John 5 24 he said truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life I tell you what you say you stand there and you say God I'll tell you why you ought to let me into your heaven not because I've done anything that deserves it because if everybody else were a liar God's true as Paul says in Romans 3 and you're true to your promises God and your son Jesus said whose words I've heard and whom I believe that he's gifted me with eternal life and therefore I stand right before you and I do not come into judgment I have passed from death to life and I think them pearly gates would swing as wide as they could possibly swing and he would say enter well done you good and faithful servant enter into the joy that's been prepared for you and so the big question is John 5.24 true of your life have you passed from death to life if you've never believed on the Lord, you've never received the gift of eternal life, you've never repented of your sins, come do that this morning before it's everlastingly too late as we stand and sing. Page 305. <coughs> I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, oh none go with me, I still will follow, oh none go with me, I still will follow, none go with me, I still will follow. I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before. Cross before me, no turning back.